A man, his wife, and his mother-in-law went on vacation to the Holy Land. While they were there, the mother-in-law passed away. The undertaker told them, you can have her shipped home for $5,000, or you can bury her here in the Holy Land for $150. The man thought about it and told them he would just have her shipped home. The undertaker asked, why would you spend $5,000 to ship your mother-in-law home when it would be wonderful to be buried here and only spend $150? The man replied, a man died here 2,000 years ago, was buried here, and just three days later he rose from the dead. I just can't take that chance. Welcome to the WTF IDK podcast, where we are owning the uncertainty of adulthood. I am your host, Chris, and together we will explore situations life throws at you and how to handle them like a badass. Each episode, we will discuss shifting paradigms that hold us back, talk to experts, aka senseis, that have gone through the fire, and add a new song to the WTF IDK podcast playlist that you can download on Apple Music. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on all social media at WTFIDKPod. Have a question or a comment? Send it to WTFIDKPodcast at gmail.com. This is episode seven. So broke they won't take my cash. Getting into that story that we started out with. First of all, that was funny. A good, you know, little Christian humor out there for you people. It's how we do in Mississippi. All right. So what got my interest about this is, I mean, of course, the story is funny. But who exactly has $5,000 to just spend? Because if it were me in the Holy Land, in any one past, it would be the 150 and we would have to be on the street corner with tin cans trying to get the 150 which speaks to my current financial situation which is why this is what we're talking about this week we're talking about budgeting and how to do better in regards to getting money and keeping the money that you get but seriously though who has $5,000 to just to just spend and it really costs $5,000 to transport a body like i know you know biologically it could be unsafe, but 5,000 whole American dollars? Ooh, Jesus. So it's time for the WTF Jam of the Week. Mm-mm. So this is the song that is going to kind of put you in the mood for what we're talking about today, which is essentially being broke. <laughs> so no one really wants to be in the mood to be broke. But I will say, if I had to be broke, the one song that I'm going to jam to is by the OJs. And I'm talking about For the Love of Money. And if you don't listen to soul music, you should definitely go and Google this one, watch it on YouTube. Because this is one of the most jamminest money songs ever. And I mean, it's two main reasons that I chose this song for this week. Number one is the bass line. Because that bass line is sick. And then the second reason is because of the message. And the lyrics towards the end of the song are, don't let money change you. And as much as we complain 
about where we are financially as much as we fuss and we stress. Um, I feel like we are on a never-ending episode of Good Times because we are always scratching, trying to survive. Like, it's it's just, <laughs> it's bad. But even with all of that in mind, we have to remember that money is not the complete decision maker of all things that make life great. And not only is it not the decision maker, we need to change how we think in regards to counting victories. So I'm a person that always says you need to count your small victories. And I'll kind of let you guys into something, I guess it's personal, because people normally don't talk about money publicly. But I have had a struggle with money. And my husband has as well. Like we're we're working towards being better financially. And it's been a growing process since we met. And, you know, we definitely have seen improvements in what we do and have done. And it's because we take honest looks at our mistakes and our mishaps. And we were those people that would always overdraft in the account. And I mean, it was like at one point in time, years ago, it was every month that something wasn't accounted for or we overspent because somebody didn't want to cook or, you know, just, we just weren't thinking forward. And every month we had to pay that overdraft fee. And for our bank, it was like $38. (laughs) It could essentially be a dollar over. And then we had to pay $38 over that, you know, overdraft fees are just horrible. And one thing that we noticed some years ago was we went a good portion of time without having that situation to deal with. And at that time, we were stressed about money, of course, as usual. And it kind of hit me, you know, in the head, hey, you know, we haven't had an overdraft fee in months. And for some people, you know, that's, well, you're being irresponsible and that's why you had overdraft fees. But for us, that was a, hey, we are figuring this thing out and we have found a way to make sure that if nothing else, we can cover whatever our expenses are for the month. And, you know, we've been able to kind of hold on to and maintain that. And I'm saying all this to say that if you are in a financial situation that is unfavorable, and I think a lot of us are, you have to find a way to keep putting one foot in front of the other. If you are working your financial plan, or if you're even developing a financial plan, or if you don't know what one is and you're researching one, that's fine. Just develop what you start where you are. Be comfortable where you are. Be okay with not knowing and learning. And I can guarantee if you work whatever plan you're coming up with, it is going to ultimately pan out in your favor. So this week we are talking about finances. We're talking about money. And in my case, not having money and being broke. And so the paradigm shift for this week is a misconception that I really feel that I need to address. Essentially, it is believed that society's advancements have improved everyone's individual bottom line, meaning that these strides have meant financial gain for everyone, when in actuality, a lot of times it's only meant financial gain for the ones that already had money to begin with. And when I'm saying advancements, I'm talking specifically about a few things. So the first advancement I always think of is education. 
we are the most educated that we have ever been as a people since forever. And education, of course, provides us with the ability to make different advancements and do things differently and and think differently and act differently. And education is good. Education is great, right? All right. Second thing that I'm thinking of when I'm talking about advancements are how, well, in America specifically, we have consistently kept unemployment rates at a low. Now, you know, they fluctuate from time to time, depending on, you know, what's going on and how it's going on. But in recent years and recent time, unemployment has actually remained pretty low. And of course, that means if unemployment is low, everybody has a job, everybody has some money coming in. And when we're talking finances, you can only work with what you have. So having money is good, right? Right. The third thing that I'm thinking of when I'm talking about advancement, the fourth thing I'm thinking about when I'm talking about advancements is technology. Technology is probably one of the most major advancements we've had to follow along with access to education. And technology for me is broken down into two different things. The first thing is the internets. I love the internets. We love the internets. We're so dependent on internet and being able to connect to people across the country, across the globe, even across the street. Be there. And for I the most part, once you're in there, you're how in there. access to that used to be a lot more limited. And think back in your mind with me, guys, to the days of dial up. It used to be either you could talk on the phone or you could browse the web. It was one of the two. And then things were so much slower. I think cruel and unusual punishment for people should be having to access the internet with dial-up because, boy, that, that junk was slow. And then that noise was just loud. You should just play that back and forth. Next time somebody sets you off somewhere, just, just wake them up out of their sleep with that noise that the internet used to make. So <laughs> the second thing that I think of under the umbrella of technology is, of course, cell phones. Cell phones have been able to take great amounts of computing power and put it in a very, very small package. And if you were to sit and just Google um, old computers or the first computer, uh, one of the first computers actually took up a room. Like an entire room was the whole entire machine and the machine could do basic mathematical computations. I mean, just almost a little bit more than addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. And I actually have a complete scientific graphing calculator in my phone. I have the ability to send video after I record it in my phone, uh, to take photographs and to edit and alter photographs and do all these things that we do with our cell phones that 10 years ago did not exist. I essentially <laughs> had to eat crow because I said years ago, I would never get a touchscreen phone. And I know y'all remember if you're old enough when touchscreen phones first were the thing and they're like, Oh, you can touch it. And it does this and that. And my best friend and I were like, what, what are you talking about? No. Cause if the screen breaks, then you can't use your phone. <laughs> and so we were so adamant about making sure that we had our buttons on our phone. And of course <laughs> we both now have iPhones. <laughs> so there's that argument, but being able to watch 
especially that technology accelerates so quickly has been amazing. And I can't wait to see, you know, what the future holds for technology. The fifth thing that is an advancement that I think about is social media. And social media is great because it continues what the internet's plan was on a magnificent scale. Social media makes those connections that we're making across the street, across town, and globally easier to do, uh, funner to do, and betterer to do, I guess you could say. And one thing that I love about social media is that you are able to make essentially a happiness scrapbook of your life. Because we know on social media, you generally post the good things. And so I love when Facebook pulls up those memories of whatever I posted back when I thought I knew everything. (laughs) And I'm able to kind of just laugh at myself in regards to, I really thought I knew stuff. But I was cute in the picture though, yeah, girl. So, you know, that is always great to me about social media, having those memories and having that to look at and reflect on. With all of these improvements, and it's good, but the cost of living has gone up and salaries necessarily haven't matched it. And that's where we're having this issue when we're thinking about finances and being broke and not having the ability to do some of the things that we want to do. So it's essentially like our advancements have come at a price tag that we're not necessarily prepared to pay. So with education, starting at the top, with education, bachelor's degrees have essentially become the new high school diploma. And I remember when we were growing up in the 90s, y'all, if you watch any movie in the 90s, it was go to college, go to college, go to college, knowledge is power, you can do anything you want to with a degree. And it was like, oh, yeah. So by the time I get grown and get my bachelor's, I'm my own world. (laughs) And being an adult, that hey, that's not the way it works. I mean, I have a master's degree. And I'm still counting pennies. And, of course, I can move elsewhere and um, go into a different field other than education. And I could probably make more money. But that was a mindset that was given to us that we held on so tightly to and that we've had to realize that uh, it wasn't necessarily true. And what I've kind of noticed now is with the kids that are coming up under us, they question the validity of an education at all. And you have to think that the people that they look up to through social media and television are people that have made bajillions of dollars without degrees at all they've made money based on popularity and fame and I'm not saying that these people have not worked for their money because that is not the case y'all know Beyonce she makes it happen all the time but you don't necessarily have to have five degrees to be the best basketball player you just have to have the work ethic and maybe talent but mostly the work ethic to get it done So now we're dealing with a convincing of the kids. We have to convince them that college is actually important. And, you know, some days I'm not sure myself that it is. And then, of course, with education, we all know comes our favorite thing that we hate and hate to hate, our student loans. So many of us are in debt and in big debt with a capital D, E-B-T. 
behind student loans. And if I had the know-how that I have now, then I might not have gone to my same institution because I went to a private college, a private liberal arts college at that. And I could have stayed in my state and went to school for free. (laughs) And, you know, now that I... I'm still paying on my education and I'm not making the money that I was supposed to make based on what the nineties told me that I was going to make, you know, I'm a little miffed about it, but the cool thing about it for the kids coming up under us is that they're learning from us and they're learning that maybe focusing on the education isn't necessarily what I need to make sure I'm going to be where I want to be, you know? So moving on to the second thing, which was unemployment. Now everybody has a job, right? But is everybody actually getting paid a living wage? And this is a topic of conversation that a lot of people love to avoid. The the consensus is, okay, you have a job. You should be able to make ends meet. You should not be broke. You should be able to make things happen. And there's no consideration to the actual income that is brought in. Because as we know, the CEO of the company and the man that repairs the plumbing does not make the same amount of money. And what we still don't look at is how far different people's dollars have to stretch. A lot of times um, we are caregivers financially and emotionally and physically of other people. And that's not, you know, calculated into what you get paid at work. I would love it if they paid me based on the fact that I have four people living in my house and we have to live together (laughs) and we have to share this electricity bill and you know the internet and the water and all of that and only two out of the five of us in the house actually bring in money but you know they pay you based on your job and I don't even know if that's necessarily correct because hey if it was up to me to clean my toilet at the workplace I would just pay somebody to do it. And if it's a job that I'd rather pay someone to do rather than do it myself, why am I paying them so less? Because I swear to God, if some of these big wigs in these companies had to differentiate between a needle nose plier and a toilet scrubber, they might not be able to do it. So, I mean, value is definitely not necessarily placed on the importance of getting the job accomplished. And that's something that definitely is hurtful to the people that are receiving the short end of that stick. And of course, when it comes to not receiving a lot of money in regards to salary, that flows into healthcare issues. A big problem that a lot of people have when they work these jobs that make lower amounts of money is that a lot of times their jobs don't even give them any health insurance. If you pull a 38 hour week at you know, um, a local store or a local fast food place, nine times out of 10, you are not getting health care coverage. So what this equates to simply is if you essentially have a pain in your foot or something, something that fell in your foot at work and you hurt your foot, it's not broken, but it hurts. The cost of getting these things looked at, getting your foot checked out is greater than what it would be just to suffer. And a lot of times we know when we let sickness and illness and and problems like that continue they only get worse and the price tag goes up but what do you do when you don't make enough money to even afford a primary care physician 
or when your only option for medical care is the ER and we got in anybody everybody knows you walking into anybody's emergency room you're coming out of $500 off top and that's cheap the third advancement is access the issue with access is it only comes with exposure so if you don't know that you don't know that means that you can't grow <laughs> yeah that sounds kind of fly. If you don't know what you don't know, you can't grow. But, <laughs> and what I mean by that is you can only extend yourself in directions that you know exist. And if you don't know of the possibility that exists around you, you're going to confine yourself to a box that, for the most part, isn't even there. And that's kind of part of the reason why I started this podcast it's essentially if I were able to capture the knowledge that I have now, I guess, and give it to my younger adult self, my maybe what 20 year old self 10 years ago, I would. And that's what these recordings essentially are for. It's a combination of my knowledge and the knowledge of people that I know and admire and aspire to be like. And it's essentially like we're creating this, this love letter to give to our younger selves or creating this love letter to give to the ones that are coming up under us so they don't necessarily have to pick up the same empty pot that we picked up before or go down the same path that we know leads to nothing but garbage. So we're able to do that because we have been exposed to this this level of knowledge, this place of knowledge, and we know that those under us have not, and so we're trying to get them that access. The fourth thing that is an advancement that we definitely need to consider is technology. But the issue with technology is not even, it's not evenly distributed. So I live in Mississippi and contrary to what non-Mississippians may think, internet isn't for everybody. Or let me say like this, contrary to what people outside of Mississippi may think, the internet isn't available to everybody. There are places in this state that do not have internet access. And when I say internet access, I literally mean they cannot get broadband connection. I don't even think they can get a dial up some places. These are places where only one cell phone company actually works. And it works if you're standing on your right foot with your left hand in your pocket and your phone towards the northeast directional pool. Like it's it's ridiculous to think about because I live in a metropolitan area and I have internet, <laughs> but there are people that are, that come in contact with me all the time that don't have smartphones because <laughs> everybody, everybody doesn't have and everybody can't afford a smartphone. There are people that do not know how to Google. I have a lot of people that question me about how to use apps and how to do different things on the internet all the time. So the technology exists but it's not a level playing field for everybody. And it kind of goes to what's going on right now in Silicon Valley, how everyone is pushing for diversity in their companies. And it's because it's never been accessible to anyone that wasn't a white male. And so now that they realize there are other consumers out there, oh, everybody doesn't like what white men like. Well, let's go find someone that does. So if you're a woman and if you're a black woman, 
boy, like the door is open for you and they're rolling out the carpet. Now the carpet is a little dusty and dirty. So you're definitely going to have to kind of come in and stomp around a little bit. But um, that drive is there now because the desire was never there to begin with. And the fifth thing is social media. So we know social media is where we kind of post the good parts of life. And it's great because like I said, it's like a scrapbook of your accomplishments and what you've come through and how you've grown and how you're great and hooray. But what about the bad stuff? What about you're not having a good day today because you didn't do well on a test in your chemistry class and you're really feeling down and your home is 400 miles away and your mom doesn't understand because she's just glad you're in college and your best friend that you normally would talk to is unavailable like who who and where do you go to and you would think that with social media giving us these connections globally um you wouldn't feel so alone but in actuality social media can make you feel even more lonely than what you would be if it didn't exist at all because you're essentially in a virtual room with millions of people but you don't have anyone that you can talk to and so with social media I love it and I hate it at the same time because if social media was a true reflection of life it would be a a little uglier than what it is now and for a lot of people they allow social media to convince them that the person that they are viewing has the perfect life. All right, so hi, Danielle. Welcome to the show. Hi, Crystal. Thank you for having me. All right, so I always start with the same icebreaker. So I'm going to ask you, this is my favorite icebreaker question. In the story of your life in your biopic, what is your theme song? Wow, I don't know if I have a theme song. Um, maybe it will be a combination of Drake and Cardi B right now. Um, I'm really in love with Cardi, so maybe Bodak Yellow or something like that. <laughs> okay, I can roll with Bodak Yellow. A good friend of mine, that's her theme song for life. Like, we'll play it, and she puts on an entire show. <laughs> so I'm, I'm definitely for that, and I understand why you love that song. All right, so can you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay, so my name is Danielle Desir, and I'm a travel finance strategist. I have a blog for those who are looking to travel and also build wealth and pay off debt. And the blog is called The Thought Card. I've been blogging for over three years now, and I'm just really passionate about being transparent and helping people live their best life, Um, particularly if you're interested in money and interested in travel. I've traveled to over 24 countries, mostly in a short amount of time since I graduated um, grad school. And I'm just really passionate about money and travel. And I think it's really important that people realize that money definitely influences your ability to travel. It can help you travel or hinder you travel. Um, But there's a lot of things that you can do in addition to that as well. That is awesome. You, I think you've said several of my favorite things in my head, which is traveling, and I don't get to do a lot of it, and then being financial savvy, which I am nowhere near, and I'm trying to do better about working on that. 
So out of all the countries that you visited, what is your favorite? So I actually have two favorites. My first one is Iceland. I love Iceland so much. I've traveled to Iceland three times already. And Iceland is really special because it's there's nowhere else like it. Like when you land in Reykjavik, it looks like you're on the moon because Iceland is like a huge like volcanic crater and it's just so foreign, but there's beautiful uh, waterfalls. You could walk on a glacier, you could ride horses. The landscape is just super stunning. Um, an expensive country, I'm not gonna lie, it is pretty pricey, but you can definitely do it on the budget. And my second favorite country is Bermuda. And it's so different from Iceland because Bermuda is like super warm and hot in the beaches and beautiful caves, under underground caves. And it's so laid back. Um, but those are my two favorites. Oh, wow. I never, ever would have imagined that you would have said Iceland. Ever. Oh, I love Iceland. I love it. It is it's it's so amazing. It's like and I've actually never spent more than four days on my trips to Iceland um, because I know, number one, it's expensive. Mm -hmm. And the longer you stay there, the more money you have to spend. So I like to go on short trips and um, the people are so friendly and you can you can see a lot and do a lot in a couple of days. So um, and also the flight is like five and a half hours. So you can get some shut eye and you are already arriving in Iceland, which is really nice. Oh, wow. That is super, super cool. So let's go ahead and get into the money talk and then we'll come back to the travel. So you are a financial ad analyst, you know, for your day job. And I know you see a lot of people around our age struggling with their finances. So why do you think, or from your viewpoint, why is it so hard for us to attain that financial security that we're all seeking? Well, there's, a, I think, a couple of reasons. Number one, a lot of us have student loan debt. And personally, my story is that I had $63,000 of debt by the time I graduated uh, grad school. And right off the back, a lot of people, when you, your first job, you're not going to be making enough money um, or more money than you have in debt, right? So um, student loans is a huge, huge, huge issue. Number two, our salaries are not as high and it's not competitive. Um, which is why a lot of us have side hustles, um, which is helping us bridge the gap. Um, I also feel like a lot of millennials are are afraid or or less risk takers because we saw what happened in 2008, the financial crash. So we're less likely to invest in like stocks and bonds and index funds because we're afraid that we're gonna lose everything. Um, a lot of people lost their houses, so investments are kind of tricky. Yeah. And also and also thinking about like socioeconomics, I know a lot of millennials grew up in single family households as well. So when you grow up with one one parent that's a provider, things could be really tight. So a lot of people I, I know have a scarcity mindset. And I really think that we should be staying away from scarcity and thinking about abundance and manifesting our wealth. Uh, I think those are those are some of the main reasons why millennials are finding it so hard right now. So this is the first time I've ever heard the term scarcity mindset. So can you go into a little detail about it for me? Sure. So scarcity mindset is like this, a lot of times this uh, subconscious thought that you have to hold on to everything that you have because you're not going to have any more opportunities. You're not going to have um, a chance to grow. That could be wealth-wise or education-wise or anything. So it's like hoarding what you have. Um, 
And it's hard to get out of that mindset because, you know, if you grew up in a situation where you don't really know um, what's going to happen next financially, you kind of want to save and be conservative. But thinking about abundance is for me, I always think about like, I'm going to be able to grow not only like my mind and my education and my status, but also my wealth. Um, So I I think a lot of it is just mind frame. Yeah. And it's crazy how you, you said that because I actually have a direct experience with that scarcity mindset. And uh, my great grandmother, we lived with her until she passed in the early nineties. And the weirdest thing is that she had was a back room or a side room that was full of brand new everything. I think there was like brand new uh, like living room set. There were brand new pots and pans she never used and a couple of other different things. And my mom, you know, later in life told me that she would always question, you know, why do you have this sitting here? You just bought this couch. You just bought these pots. Use them, use them, use them. And she never used them. And ultimately, after she passed, they ended up, you know, being passed on to us and we needed it because we didn't have furniture when we moved (laughs) so you know it served a purpose but my mom has definitely pushed that non-scarcity mindset because she was frustrated with her own grandmother in that she refused to use what she worked so hard to attain so that that's definitely I definitely understand Mm mm-hmm So that's definitely something that, you know, kind of, yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and get into this budgeting conversation because my assumption and correct me if I'm wrong, um, is that we can do a lot of these things financially that we want to, if we plan properly for them. Yeah, I think planning is so, so, so important. Um, because without a plan, you have no direction. And for me, a plan helps me achieve my goals and it provides me a roadmap. And in terms of budgeting, budgeting doesn't have to be this inflexible thing that is on a spreadsheet and it's all this abstract numbers. You know, for me, I think about what are my financial priorities and then I get, I take care of those first. So um, I recently purchased a house, but it took me like two and a half years to save up for that. Um, and I knew I always wanted to buy a house, so I had a plan and then I executed and I had the patience to see it through. Sometimes we have a plan and we have a goal and we're not patient and we get distracted and, you know, we get discouraged. So I always think that having a plan, AKA your budget is really like helping you to have a roadmap to wealth. That, and that's what I need to work on. I'm a very impatient person. So you are speaking directly to me. So if I'm starting off, um, with the budgeting, you know, I, I just heard of this new thing called budgeting. I don't know what it is, what it does. What advice would you have for me just starting out fresh? I would say, um, number one to list maybe your top three financial priorities. So let's say it is number one, let's say it's saving, uh, for vacation, right? Number two, it could be, um, paying off your rent and paying your rent. And number three could be, uh, paying off your debt. So when you have your top three financial priorities from there, you kind of put a dollar amount to that. And then you just go down the list of your priorities. Once your priorities are taken care of, you can, you can have money to play with. You can have money to do other things. But for me, it's always about taking care of what's the most important first. Um, personally, 
it depends. Sometimes in my life, I do have an Excel spreadsheet where I track my expenses and all of that. But I'm really, I'm really hands off when it comes to budgeting because what I do is I have bank accounts devoted to separate things. So my mortgage is a bank account. My car insurance gets a different bank account. My, um, let's say my travel fund gets a different bank account and it gets automatically taken out of each check and they get dispersed to different bank accounts. So after I get paid, I don't have to think about, oh my God, I have to cut my money into 10 different areas because it's already taken care of me for it. So for me, I would say um, in your budget, number one, figure out your financial priorities and then put them in separate bank accounts and have everything automated so that you don't have to worry about like where's this money gonna come from because it's already taken out. And there are people who go as granular as having like grocery bank accounts. So all their grocery money automatically goes into that bank account and they don't have to worry about it. And I love that because you're so like you're so much less stress and you know exactly where your money is going all the time. So that was what I would suggest. I have never heard of having multiple bank accounts. And I mean, I'm not a financial guru by any means, but I do occasionally Google. And I guess the mentality that I've inherited from my family is that you have your money in one place and you send out your money where it needs to go from that place. I am definitely the automatic draft person for those recurring monthly expenses, but I've never considered having a separate account for each uh, major expense. Yeah, I think you should maybe give it a try and see and see if it works for you. I mean, for me, when I have my money sitting in one area, things are going to get deducted and then I have no control and I'm like, whoa, overdraft fees hit me and then I'm in a negative. Um, however, because I have a mortgage fund, because I have a travel fund, I even have a car insurance fund, everything just goes into that big account. And when it comes time to pay that bill, I know exactly where that money's coming from. I don't have to scratch my head. I don't have to worry. There's no overdraft because that big account is devoted to that expense and that expense is a recurring expense um, and it's a high priority so for me it's it's a lot easier to do it that way and you know I have a I have a bank account for my like discretionary expenses so I, I know that I can just you know swipe um, if I want to let's say go for a sh uh, shopping or if I want to go to the movies I know that the money theirs is okay for me to touch it because everything else is taken care of Got it. That makes a lot of sense when you explain it that way. Okay, so here's the next budgeting question. And this is exactly where I fall in the line of budgeting. What do I need to do if I keep falling off of the budgeting track? Like I know I need a budget. I have a budget. I prioritize. I wrote it down. I have, you know, things set in an order. And I'm good for about a month. And then I fall back into my irresponsible habits. What advice would you have for someone that falls into that category? I think it's important to just have more frequent check-ins with yourself. Check in with your money. Um, if it's if you do it once a month, do it twice a month. If it's twice a week, do it three times a week. Um, the more frequent that you can take a look at your money, and it's not even about like, oh, I need to go and reconcile all of my accounts and do all that. It could just be like going and in, logging into your app, your phone app and checking to see, okay, what are, what are my balances? Is my credit cards paid off? Um, so the more frequent that you can take a look at your money, I think it helps you with that abundance mindset. So you don't, you don't have to like, you know, go back to that scarcity or, you know, I, I also think it's important for it to be a priority in your life. Like, 
um, we, we, we really take control of the things that matter to us. So if you see that you're going back to your old ways, just look at it more frequently, take some time out, um, and really understand why are you, why are your behaviors, um, changing and, and what can you do to tweak it a little bit? I think that helps. Okay. Yeah. Like that makes, that makes perfect sense when you're saying it. <laughs> All right. So last question about budgeting. If I were to come across a couple of extra hundred dollars, maybe, you know, it's Christmas time and my grandma gave me two or $300. What would you recommend I do with that money to kind of further my goals? Well, I think it depends on like how, um, risk, how much risk that you're willing to take. Um, if you want to stash it, but you want to make a little bit more money, I would say maybe I'll put it into CD, uh, which usually locks your money in for, let's say, three, six, 12 months. And you're given like a interest rate that's, you know, significantly higher. Um, or if you really want to travel and you got an extra, you know, an extra bonus, an extra money, I would say, hey, let that kickstart your trip. Um, or you can invest it or you could pay it off your mortgage or, you know, you can make extra payments towards your student loan debt. So, again, it, it's really coming up with that list. Like, what's important to me right now? What are my priorities? And then from there, you can allocate that extra money to that priority. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, like, you're, you're it's like you're talking directly to me because these are things that I need to do. <laughs> All right, so let's kind of get into this conversation about traveling. What inspired you to get up and to actually start traveling? And with me, I have had a passport application sitting on my dresser, I know, for years. Like, I'll, you know, print it out, I'll start to fill it out, I'll lose it, and then I'll, a couple of months later, I'll do the same process. And this has been going on for years. How did you commit to actually getting up and going? So I'll start by saying that when I was younger, I would spend the summers with my grandparents in Haiti. And I've been traveling at a really, really young age. So um, every summer I'd go to Haiti. But then when I was about 15, 16, I was like, oh, that's not cool anymore. You know, I want to get a job. I want to make money. And I stopped traveling. And in college, I, I wanted to, let's say, go and study abroad. I really wanted to go to France. Paris was my, like, number one destination in the world that I really wanted to go to. However, it was so expensive that I couldn't afford to go. And then in college, everyone was going on spring break. And I couldn't afford spring break at the time either. Mm -hmm. So I went from, in my childhood, being able to travel a lot to one place to my young adulthood not being able to travel because money was an object. So I said to myself, when I get a job and when I get some cash, I am going to go to Paris. And I don't care if no one's with me or the whole world is with me. I don't want to ever feel like, wow, I can't, you know, I just didn't feel like I appreciated travel when I was younger. And then not having the money to do it really was like a wake up call. Like, it was like, wow, this is something that I, I really think is important and I have to do it. So um, after I graduated grad school, I got a significant amount of money and I used those savings to kind of help boost me to fund my, my Paris trip. And when I got to Paris, it was like the most amazing experience. I went solo and I never looked back after that. So 
Um, for me, it's about, you know, having travel in my life at a young age, not being able to afford it in adulthood. And that really helped propel me to now being able to travel to 24 plus countries. Wow. So how do you manage traveling alone? Because I mean, traveling alone is in my head, something that is so difficult, especially just being honest, being a woman, you're a target everywhere. And how do you manage your safety? How do you ensure that you're safe? You get home, you know, safely (laughs) and all of that. Well, I think for me, I have T-Mobile and T-Mobile allows you to travel to multiple countries, I think over 140 countries and still be able to text and calling if you need it like 20 cents a minute or something like that. So for me, with internet and being able to text and talk to my family, I always feel comfortable traveling because I know that my mom and my loved ones are just a text away. We could we can chat on WhatsApp and there's been times like I was in Rome last summer And it was an amazing experience to FaceTime my mom and be like, mom, look at the Coliseum. And she's having this experience with me. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, it's like, I'm not really alone because I'm on Twitter. I'm tweeting people, you know, I'm on Facebook. I'm chatting with my family. I'm FaceTiming them. So they're not physically with me, but I know that they're with me and they're just a, you know, a punch away uh, or a text away or something like that. Um, In terms of safety, I always try to go on a group tour so many many cities have free group tours that are in the morning so I go on a group tour so that kind of breaks up my loneliness because I'm with a bunch of other people Mm -hmm. and solo travel is actually more common like when I first started traveling people would be like oh you're solo traveling oh my god that's so crazy but now it's like a lot of women are solo traveling Um, it's very very common and I think it's more about yourself your confidence and if you need help to build your build your solo travel confidence, go to the movies at your local hometown by yourself. Go get a, grab a dinner by yourself. You know, go shopping and and do things that will help you break the ice a little bit. I think it's a lot about um, the confidence, your self confidence. Mm-hmm. And after a certain time, like after let's say five or six p.m., I'm in my hotel or I'm in my hostel. You know, I don't really um, explore the city at night. Because there's no need to. Um, I see a lot of things. I, I wake up usually early in the morning, so I'm up at like 6.37, and I'm, I'm out exploring from 7 a.m. to like 6, 7 p.m. That's enough, and I'm tired, you know? So yeah. I don't have to go bar hopping because um, bar scenes are all very, very similar. Um, so I just kind of um, be smart in that way so I'm not really out at night, and I try to do group activities, which helps break up the loneliness. And then I'm always talking to my family and loved ones, so... Um, I've been able to do that and I I solo travel all the time and for me I don't have time to wait for anyone (laughs) I'm just like hey guys and my friends know that too I'm like hey guys I found a really great flight deal do you guys want to go they text me so quickly yes or no and then we book (laughs) Um, because I don't have time to wait and another thing is like I love cheap flights cheap flights are like that's my bread and butter and anywhere I go is because I got an amazing deal to go there um, unless it's like a conference or something work related. Mm-hmm. But um, some some of these flights that I found, we cannot wait. I cannot wait for your uncertainty. This is going to expire and we need to get to Ireland for 360. Okay. Like this has to happen. <laughs> so are you going to come with me or not? And then after they say yes, no, and then we make it happen. Um, so that's my frame of thought. 
Okay, so you mentioned uh, cheap flights, and I know that's one of the websites that offers super, super cheap um, airfare. And it, unfortunately, where I live, there is no such thing as cheap airfare because <laughs> it, it just doesn't happen. Like flying uh, from here to even Atlanta is like $200. It's ridiculous. But what are some other tips do you ha- that you have for people that are essentially without money, but they want to travel? I would say make it a financial priority in your life. That's super important. And the best way to do that is by having a travel fund, like what we talked about a little bit before, keeping that money separate. And even if it's like $5 or $10 or 20, um, I personally have this travel fund that I called around the world trip, right? And my goal is one day I'll have enough money in there that I'll be able to travel around the world for, let's say, a couple of months or a year or so. And to be honest, I only put $20 in that account because that's a far goal for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't need to be putting hundreds of dollars into towards travel. So I just put 20 in that account. And right now it has 250. And I'm like, hey, look at that. You know, <laughs> like that that's flight money. And 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 that's the thing I think is it's really like it, it's so easy. Put your bank, um, have a bank account, open it up, figure out how much money you can afford to just, you know, don't drink that coffee. Don't go to Starbucks for that one day of the week. Put that $20 away or $5 or whatever. And it's going to grow over time. And that's the beauty of money. It grows over time. So that's what I would say. Cool. So if um, for our traveling newbies, so the people, you know, we've budgeted, we've saved our money, we're ready to go. What are some destination suggestions that you have? Mm, if you're on a budget? If you're on a budget. We'll do on a budget and then we'll do the ball out. <laughs> All right. If you're on a budget, I actually really enjoyed Mexico City, to be honest. Uh, Mexico is not that far from us. Um, I know a lot of people have this concern about safety, but it's an amazing, it's an amazing country. You can go to Cancun, which is like beaches. Uh, they have the the Aztec temples, or you can go to Mexico city, which is like a big, you know, metropolitan city. And it's actually really affordable, um, to, to go there and to, to live and explore and eat, you eat really, really well. So I would say as close as Mexico would be really, really awesome. Um, other places that I really enjoyed on a budget included, uh, Portugal. Portugal is really, really, really inexpensive to actually like have quality meals and you can do so much free stuff in Lisbon. So um, those are my destinations that I I really felt attached to and it didn't really kill my budget. Okay. So now let's say we just have endless, not endless, but we have, you know, a nice chunk of change saved up. What would be a great, um, more luxurious destination? Oh, um, well, I would say Iceland for sure. If you, if you have some money, you could really uh, have a great time there in Iceland. Let's see. I mean, there's like there's London and Paris. Those are all um, pretty expensive places, but you can have an amazing time if you have some cash. So um, those would be my recommendations. Cool, cool. All right. So what's next for you? What's coming up for Danielle? What's coming up? So this year for me has has been a lot about short trips. So I've taken, I've, I've traveled maybe six, six times this year. I've been to Ireland. 
I've been to um, Orlando. I've been to Oslo. Like all these trips are extremely, extremely short. I've been to Toronto most recently. So for me, I'm just, I'm just trying to like take a step back mm-hmm. <laughs> and and regrouping and and just like enjoying the summer here in Connecticut. So I don't really have any any plans, but I am taking my mom. We're gonna go to. We're thinking um, Greece in November. So my mom, my mom and I, I I always try to have once a year, we go on a mother daughter trip. Uh, It could be a short weekend or it could be a long trip. So we're going to spend a couple of days in Greece. And I'm actually really looking forward to that. Um, It's amazing to just have that experience with your mom or any family member, to be honest. So I'm looking forward to that in November. Yeah. And aren't you starting your podcast soon? Yes, I am starting my podcast soon. It's going to be called Short Trips. Um, It's it's really about planning and having more travel in your life um, in terms of short trips. So that could be from something from 24 hours or 48 hours to a couple of days. Because I feel like a lot of people feel like travel has to be this extravagant um, two-week vacation yes. on a cruise or Tahiti. You're going to go yes. to Bora Bora. And that's not, doesn't have to be the case. Travel can be frequent. Travel could be inexpensive. And that's what the Short Trips podcast is going to be about. Let's get out there. And I have a full-time job. I don't, I don't have the luxury to be away from the office extended amount of time. But there are so many weekends. You can go to, for me, I just went to Toronto for the weekend. And that's something that I want to talk about in my podcast. Like how to, how to go away for the weekend and come back. And to be honest, that it revives me. Like I can go back to work and I'm like, oh my God, that was such an amazing experience. I need to make this money so I can go back on that weekend trip. You know, so <laughs> for me, uh, it's super exciting and I can't wait to launch that podcast. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. How can the listeners uh, reach you on social media? Yes, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Thought Card. And you can check out my travel finance website. It's called thoughtcard.com. And if you have any questions, you can shoot me an email at thethoughtcard at gmail.com. All right. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you, Crystal. It was a pleasure. So let's go ahead and get into this cheat sheet. This week, we've been talking about everyone's favorite thing to hate, which is money. Um, We're talking specifically about not having enough money, a.k.a. being broke. And so we kind of started out discussing the misconceptions that a lot of our elders have in regards to our placement with money. They feel that because of where we are advancement-wise and status-wise, we have more money when in actuality we don't. There are plenty of articles about it if you want to read up more on the challenges that we are facing as this younger generation and I will post some of them in the show notes. Our sensei of uncertainty this week was a good friend of mine, Danielle. She is a financial analyst by day, but she also runs a blog, thethoughtcard.com, and it's where she discusses ways for us to successfully budget and travel at the same time. And it's something that is very unique and very needed because we all want to go somewhere, but we don't have money to get there. And so during her interview, she dropped a couple of gems in regards to how how we can successfully, some of which included having multiple accounts for different tasks and essentially having your money have different jobs. And if it has different jobs, it goes in different places. Another thing she mentioned was actually searching and hunting for good deals. And there are so many other ideas and so many other resources on her website, which is 
www.thoughtcard.com. T-H-O-U-G-H-T card.com. The WTF Jam of the Week was one of my favorite songs by the OJs. But I love money. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. So if you haven't heard that song, you got to listen to it. And I mean, I don't necessarily see how you've lived into your adulthood without hearing that song. But there have been greater anomalies to exist. And that's it for this episode of WTF IDK Podcast. I've been your host, Chris, and I'm glad you've been able to join me. Remember to like, share, and subscribe this podcast and follow us on all social media at WTF IDK Pod. If you have Apple Music, please be sure to download the WTF IDK Podcast playlist that features the music choices of our senseis as well as the WTF Jam of the Week. If you have questions or comments, please send them to WTFIDKPodcast at gmail.com.